You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. All right, good morning. You can have a seat. Just want to welcome those uh, joining us online. Um, know that there's a lot of sickness going around these days, so maybe that's you, uh, or you're just uh, checking our church out. But uh, either way, we want to just welcome you. And uh, uh, we are going to continue our study of the book of Genesis. And uh, Pastor Michael was, was saying this morning during the prayer time, like, can we just stay in Genesis 1 and 2, All right? Like, don't you, don't you feel that way in some ways? Because, you know, Genesis 3 is not, not great, right? And that's what we're going to be reminded of this morning. <clears throat> but I think when you think about the tragedy of Genesis 3, it really, um, you really don't see the tragedy until you understand just how beautiful Genesis 1 and 2 were. And then if you've been with us, you've seen that over and over again, just how incredible God is. Uh, we've seen his power in, in creating all that we have, um, the moon, the stars, the sun, the, 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 the trees, everything that, that, that we have, have been able to enjoy in this creation is from him. He spoke it into existence and he, he, he declared that it was good, that it was very good. And we got to Genesis 2, we got to see just the intimate way that God did the creating and how he um, breathed life into Adam, how he took a, 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 a something from the side, you know, a bone and flesh. We're not exactly sure if you remember uh, a couple weeks ago when we were looking at that. He takes that and forms it into a woman and presents that woman to the man. In, in every way God has provided, we've seen it over and over again. There, there's nothing in Genesis 1 and 2 that would suggest that God is somehow keeping back from creation. The, the provision has been rich. The, the, there's protection there. There is um, guidance to, to say, hey, this is how to live out life. You, you're to keep the garden. You're to watch over it. You're to have dominion over this earth. Everything that God has declared is good and it's right. And so the events of Genesis 3 should be shocking. We, we, should, we should be like, how, how in the world... Did this happen? Why would they ever choose to rebel against God? Why would they do that? Why would they think that they knew better than God did? Why do we think that we know better than God? Why do we choose to walk in rebellion against Him? As we look at the text this morning, we're going to see that everything went from, from being very good to being very bad. Sin is now entering creation for the first time. And this morning, as we're going to look at this text, we're going to see, sadly, many similarities in Adam and Eve that we see in ourselves. But before we close this morning, we're going to jump out of Genesis 3. And so we will leave with hope because of what Christ has done. But first, we need to see the sinfulness of sin. And before we do that, let me pray for us one more time. 
God, we are so thankful for this time to gather together this morning. We're thankful for your word. God, thank you that, um, Lord, it was your good will, will to reveal all these things to us. Lord, it is through your word that we grow in our understanding who, of who you are. Uh, Lord, as we have seen in Genesis 1 and 2, Lord, you are good. You are faithful. You are just. You are right. No, there's nothing impure. There's nothing um, that is not good in you, God. You are altogether perfect. And yet, Lord, we lose sight of that so often, just as we're going to see with Adam and Eve. And God, we would pray this morning that you would help us to, to have a better understanding of who you are this morning as we study, that we would trust you more, that we would love you better as a result of our gathering today. And that, Lord, um, as we would leave from this place, that, Lord, we would proclaim the hope that is in Jesus Christ. And God, I, I, I'm so thankful that you know every heart here this morning. Lord, you know what we believe about sin. There are some here who, who doubt whether or not they are even sinners. There are some here who are walking in known sin but unrepentant. And then there are those who, Lord, are walking in fear of you. Lord, you know where each one of us are at. And so, God, we pray, Lord, would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you speak to each person here through the power of your spirit? Use this preacher for your glory, for your honor, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Genesis chapter 3, we're going to be looking at this morning. If you don't have a Bible, just go ahead and slip up your hand. Uh, the ushers will be happy to give you a copy of God's Word. But we want to be able to look at God's Word together, Genesis 3, 1 to 7. Maybe you don't have a Bible. If you don't, just keep the one they're going to give to you. But just, yeah, slip up your hand. And then if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 7 this morning. We just ended with this beautiful marriage ceremony, and then we read, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will, surely, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Four facts about sin we're going to learn about this morning, and then our needed response. Four facts about sin and our needed response. First, regard the enemy. Be alert. We have an enemy, each and every one of us. First, that's the first thing that we need to understand when it comes to uh, our sin. He is first here described as the serpent. He's described in verse 1 here that he is more crafty than any other beast of the field. 
The word can either be taken positively or negatively based on the context. And as we will see here, that this serpent will be used to deceive the woman. And we think about our original context again, who's receiving this, the, these things of the book of Genesis. It's Israel in the wilderness. And they don't have a high view of snakes, of serpents. Now, Matthews reminds us, serpents in the Mosaic community were classified among the unclean animals because of their movement on the ground and were associated with the judgment of God for Israel's complaints against God in the wilderness. If you'll remember in Numbers 21, verse 6, right? The fiery serpents that came and bit the people. And so they don't have a a real positive view of this animal. And so right away, they probably, how in the world is this serpent in the garden, in this perfect creation? But God had what? God had created this serpent. Now, when we think about the serpent, we, we understand that it's not just a snake in the garden, right? There, there's, there's something more going on besides the serpent. There is an evil force that's at work that we, as we read the scriptures from Genesis through Revelation, we understand uh, him by other names as well. He's known as the devil, Satan, Lucifer. And he uses this snake to speak to Eve. The deceptive words and the temptation find their origin in Satan, in the devil, right? This is, he's either doing like he did with Peter and kind of influencing his words. You remember when, when Jesus said, I'm going to go and I'm going to sacrifice myself and I'm going to die. And what does Peter say? No, that's never going to happen. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, Right? You do not have the things of God on your mind, but the things of man. So it could be using Peter, or sorry, using the serpent like he used Peter, or could it be like Judas, where he literally entered Judas and then used him to betray Christ. We don't know which one, but he's using the serpent in some way. Revelation 20 verse 2 reminds us of the different names which this enemy goes by. It says in Revelation 20, verse 2, and he, the angel, sees the dragon. So that's another name for Satan. The ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. He is the deceiver. He is the slanderer. Jesus refers to him as the father of lies. We know that he was also created Right? He was uh, created as an angel, and, and along with one-third of the angels, they rebel against God. And he has been an enemy of God ever since that time. And he tries to destroy everything that God has created. This is his goal. His desire is to enslave all in sin and have them follow him versus following God. Now, As I've already mentioned, both he, Satan, and the serpent are created, right? So they're not equal to God. When we think about this, it's really important that we don't see this as an equal fight, right? There's not like, I don't know, who's going to win? Is it going to be Satan or is it going to be God? Like, it's going to come right down to it. No, it's like, it's anything that Satan does, God allows, Right? He, he, he cannot do anything on his 
on his own. He cannot thwart the Lord God. Let's put it that way. God is sovereign over it. As we get through the book of, uh, from Genesis right through the Revelation, we see that God is completely in control. And so they're both created. God is over it. And now we see the serpent speaking. All right. So let's just talk about for the next 40 minutes how a serpent speaks. So we do that. What's going on here? I mean, that, that, does, that does make you wonder, like, what, why is Eve talking to the snake? Why is she not like, this is strange, right? Now, we don't know why. The Bible doesn't tell us why. Clearly, as we read the scriptures, we don't, we don't get in on every detail of the scripture. We are just told what God wants us to know. That's all we're told, right? And the emphasis here is not how do serpents talk, the emphasis here is the temptation of sin and the fall of man. That's the emphasis. So whether it's a Balaam kind of thing where, you know, the member of the donkey speaks to Balaam, if it's a, is it a unique kind of thing like that? Is there something going on in the garden that, that animals like the serpent could speak? We don't know. We simply don't know. But the conversation happens. And... It does not go well because they're not ready for the enemy. We are most vulnerable when we're not ready for an enemy, right? If you don't, if you don't know you have an enemy, it's pretty easy for that enemy to take you out, right? And this is what we're go- we see going on here. They're, they're just kind of naive about the fact that this serpent, Satan, is trying to destroy them. They, they have no clue. And I wonder how many people here this morning are naive about the fact that you have an enemy. Satan is really happy with having no press, right? He's really happy to be like, you don't believe me? Fantastic. You don't believe that I exist? That's, that's great. I love that. Because now I can just do whatever I want, right? Satan is not some kind of red cartoon character with a pitchfork, right? Satan is real. The scriptures tell us about him over and over and over again. First Peter 5, 8, Peter warns us of this. And I would encourage you to just write some of these verses down, uh, look them up for yourself later. But first Peter 5, 8, he says this, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Satan is looking for someone to devour. You think about that imagery of a lion, right? If you, if you knew there was a lion walking around in here, I dare say you would be watchful, right? You would be alert. You'd be looking around. You'd be, right? But this is the spiritual picture. There is someone who is seeking to destroy you. So wake up. Be watchful. We see that his primary tool and his uh, way that he tries to attack us is to twist the word to get our focus off of the Lord. Paul lamented this in 2 Corinthians 11.3. 2 Corinthians 11.3, he says this, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. 
reminder that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. He's talking to believers at this time, and he's worried that they're going to be led astray by Satan, just as Eve was, and that they would be led away from pure devotion to Christ. This is this is, Satan can do that. He can kind of make you lukewarm. He has accomplished his purpose. Satan, being the deceiver, doesn't often show up as himself. You know what I'm saying? Right? He does what? He disguises himself. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen tells us this. Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He knows if he just kind of shows up in stark contrast, you're going to, be, you're going to reject it. But if he kind of, a little bit of truth here and a little bit of that over there, and look, we're all good, you know, happy, happy, joy, joy, you know, why don't you follow me? That's the tactic he takes. And so every day, you and I need to watch, be alert, And it tells us in Ephesians 6, we need to put on the armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, I'm just going to read the first two verses in chapter, sorry, chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. Chapter 6, verses 10 and 11, he says this, Paul, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Can I, can I take Satan out on my own? No, I cannot. That would be a fool's errand. He definitely is stronger than you. Stronger than God, not even close. But stronger than you, for sure. So I need to be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. And then what do I need to do? I need to put on the whole armor of God that I may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so then he gives you the list. Here's the things that you need to put on daily if you are to fight against Satan. As he's breaking it down, he talks about the shield of faith so that you might, you might be able to be protected against the attacks of the, the, the flaming darts of the evil one, right? It is through faith, it is by putting on this armor of God, the gospel of peace, all these different elements by praying, this is how I am ready to go through each and every day when I have an enemy who is against me. Now, if you're a child of God this morning... You are enemy number one. I mean, if you're not, you're not an enemy. You're already on his team. Does that make sense, right? If you're you're not in Christ this morning, you are a child of Satan. Your father is Satan, who is the father of lies. And you're like, well, that's not true. It is. That's what the scriptures tell us. And, 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 and everyone here can relate to the, to the fact that you're like, well, no, I was independent. I was, I was a free agent. I was in control. You were not in control. You're either with Satan or you're with Christ. Those are the two options. There are no other, no other options. So, as believers, we need to daily be reminded that our enemy is real, that we need to, to be remembering that... that to be alert, to be sober-minded, to be watchful, and then to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Adam and Eve do not seem to have a clue of how much danger they're in. And so we need to learn from their example that we need to be on guard, on alert. So this one that God had called, this, this one, this serpent now, 
is going to speak with Eve, which is interesting, right? Why not go to Adam? Hasn't God set up an order that Adam and Eve together will rule over the, the, the dominion, but Adam is to be the leader? Is it, why would not go to him? Well, why do you think? Right? So, so and, and by the way, Adam's not going to look good here at all. I don't know if you caught that in our first reading through. All right? But he goes to Eve. We see our second fact about sin. Recognize the enticement. Recognize the enticement and be attentive. You know, people who say, oh, I would never do that. You know, did you hear what happened to Bill? Yeah, oh, what a loser. I can't believe he sinned in that way. I would never do that. Really? Take heed lest you fall. That sinful heart that Bill had that led him into sin is the same sinful heart that you have. And if it was not for God's grace in your life, you will follow him. So take heed, recognize the fact that we can be enticed. We need to be attentive. So let's see the schemes here that the serpent uses to tempt. First of all, as I mentioned before, he doesn't just show up and say, hey, I'm Satan. Um, Do exactly the opposite of what God tells you to, and it's going to go really well for you. He doesn't start that way. Instead, he puts a little bit of doubt in their minds. Look at uh, the rest of verse 1. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? I mean, I heard this rumor, you know, it's going around the garden, you know, it's really interesting that God would, you know, prevent you guys from eating of the trees of the garden. I mean, do you see how much he's twisting the word of the word of the Lord here? He, he's kind of coming like, kind of like this passive, like, let me get this straight. Like, you know, I'm just trying to understand. Did, did he say that like, you shall not eat of any of the trees in the garden? He's questioning what? God's motives. Did he actually say? Did he really say? Like, you can even hear the tone in the way that it's written. It seems like, I mean, I'm no expert here, but it seems like God's trying to keep back from you. I mean, what I heard is he's trying to not have you eat from any of the trees of the garden here. What had God actually said? Look look back to Genesis chapter 2. This is key. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And giving the command to Adam, he says this, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. Is there any kind of holding back in any sort of way in this text? (laughs) You may surely, like it's like emphatic, you may have every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. So Satan is trying to make it look like God is withholding from the man and the woman. When in actual fact, God had given Adam and Eve the entire garden except for one tree. That's, all, that's what he's done. This is the provision he's given. His desire is to, to get, Satan's desire here is to get them thinking that maybe somehow God is keeping back from them. The question is asked in such a way that he makes it look like 
you know, he's, he's, not, he's not really attacking God. He's just trying, to, just trying to understand. So, the deception has begun. Did God actually say? I mean, he doesn't use that anymore, right? He uses it all the time. Did God actually say? Anybody in our country think, anybody in any churches in our country say, well, we used to say the Bible says this, but now we say the Bible says this. Did God actually say, well, we had it wrong. We're going to change it. It happens all the time. So, what should have happened right here and then? Did you know that Eve's not by herself? Did you see that? So what should have happened at this point? Adam should have stepped up and said, shut up. I don't know if he could say that. You know, the garden was perfect. Okay? Be silenced. Okay? Serpent. You, 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 are, you, you are speaking in such a way of our God that is not correct, and they should have moved on. That should have been the over. But he's just sitting there. He's doing nothing. While God's goodness and provision are questioned. So then we see the woman respond. She's not going to do a great job. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Did she say that correctly? We may eat of the trees in the garden. What did God say? You can eat from every tree in the garden. She's already starting to take away from what God's word actually said. Not not just some of the trees, not just a few of the trees. Every tree of the garden is theirs to eat. Again, Adam is there, okay? He could have corrected her. Hey, honey, remember I told you, God said we could eat from every tree in the garden. Maybe you you misunderstood me. Maybe you don't remember. He's sitting there. He He could have corrected. He does not correct. Again, we, notice, we may eat. So he's there. But, she continues on, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. You see what she's doing now? Now she's adding to the word of God, right? Things are really coming off the rails here, okay? First of all, she doesn't say what the tree actually was. The tree was what? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, She just says that tree in the midst of the garden. So she's changing that. Then she says that we can't even touch the tree. Had God said that? He did not say that. She's adding to what the word of God says. And then lastly, she's not stated the emphasis that God had said about the death. What had God said? You shall surely die. There is no doubt about it. There's emphasis there. And she's just saying, lest you die. 
And again, some of these things like, wow, come on, pastor. I mean, it's pretty close. She's got the gist of it, doesn't she? What is this showing us? We need to be precise with what the Word of God says. We, we can't have this mamby-pamby. I think it's kind of like if we do, we're, we're setting ourselves up to fail. She's minimizing the threat here. Just subtly, but she's minimizing it. And Satan is about to jump all over that. Right? Because he can see. He can see where she's weak. She's, she's kind of halfway telling him the word of God. Adam and Eve are vulnerable, vulnerable here to temptation because they do not know the word of God with precision. They're taking away here. They're adding over there. And again... It doesn't, like, doesn't take you too long to understand we still do the same thing. Do we not? You got the Pharisees. They're easy to pick on. Let's pick on them. But the Pharisees, right? Here's the, you know, we feel bad for the old believers because they only had this many rules. Look at us now. Look at all the rules we have now. We must be godly because we've added all of these rules about how to be righteous. We must be godly. And we see legalist churches all over North America. Well, sure. I mean, there's this part in the Bible, but let us tell you all the other rules that you may have not known about. And if you do that, then you're really going to be a godly person. We, We can't do that. So the adding is obvious, uh, what she's doing here, but then also the taking away. Is it okay to take away from God's word in any way, to belittle it in any way? Maybe just a little bit of sin is okay? It's not okay. And we must understand this, and we must be on guard against it. So Satan sees the seeds seeds of doubt and her distorting of the word of God in that she is now vulnerable to his outright denial of what God has said. A little bit of doubt here, a little bit of distorting of the truth here, and now we're ready to just go right for the jugular. What does he say? But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. 100% opposite of what God had said, which is what? You will surely die. He says it emphatically. He takes God's word and he says the exact opposite now. He lies, as is his nature. Listen, you're not going to suffer from going against God's word. I mean, how foolish are you to think that you would would suffer as a result of going against God? Does he still use that same line today? You know, this is just something that God says to try to make you do what he wants you to do. It's just an empty threat. You surely will not die. For what? For God knows that when you eat of it, the fruit, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Listen, this is all good. There is no bad in following what I am telling you right now. It is going to be a great day for you if you just listen to what I'm telling you. You go ahead and eat that fruit, 
And guess what? You're going to be like God. Who does not want that? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna have all of the knowledge that he has. You're going to be powerful. He's keeping back from you. This whole talk about God being good, he's not good. He can't be trusted. Do you really think he can be trusted? Do you, do you, do you hear what I'm telling you right now? He, he's telling you, I'm telling you that if you just eat of this, everything is going to be better for you. So he's claiming to know God better than Eve knows God. You just got to trust me. Von Rod is quite correct when he says that the serpent's insinuation is the possibility of an extension of human existence beyond the limits set for God at creation. God has put you in this box. You need to break out of that box. An increase of life, not only in the sense of pure intellectual enrichment, but also familiarity with and, with and power over Mysteries that lie beyond man. If you could just stop listening to what God tells you, you like the, the sky is the limit as to how good it's going to be for you. This is what he is enticing them with. And so the temptation is complete. First, the seeds of doubt. The word of God has been distorted, and now the promise of a much better life if you would just deny what God's word says. And do what you want to do. That's all you have to do. And life will be great for you. Like, is there anyone here who's like, huh, I, I wish I could relate somehow to this kind of temptation in my life. I, I don't understand, you know? Like, I, I've never been in a situation like this where, 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 you know, God's word says one thing, and I'm kind of like, I think maybe I should do the opposite. I've never been there. Like, there's no one here who can say that. We, we've all been tempted in the exact same way. It starts with the doubt. You know, my life is hard. You know, is God really good? Is he really there for me? Like, I keep serving him, I keep doing all these things, but it's just like, I'm not really getting anything out of it. And I think maybe it's about time I got something for me. You know, and, and you know, is God's word really true? Because I'm looking at all these other people. You think about Psalm 73 in the Psalm of Asaph, and he's like, I'm looking at all these other people, and it seems like their life is pretty good. And they don't believe in God at all. So maybe it's time for me to just kind of put the book away for a bit and do what I want to do. And get the happiness that I deserve. It happens over and over and over again. Believer, this morning, what do you do when doubts come up? Do you turn back to the Word of God, studying it, understanding it? How well do you know the Word of God that you might refute the lies of Satan? How often do you misquote the Word and wind up deceived? How many times can you think of right now when you have believed the lie that God was keeping back from you based on His commands? This 
much as things have changed in this world, these things have not. Satan uses the same tactics over and over and over again in our lives. And so we need to be attentive to these lies. Four facts about sin and our need of response. Thirdly, realize the egotism. Be aware. Egotism. We got a pride problem, you and I. So, what we're going to see here with Eve, she's going to detach from the authority of the Word of God. She's no longer now quoting what God's Word says. She's going to like kind of set the Word of God aside and decide on her own what is the right thing to do. You know, I'll, I'll figure it out on my own. I got two eyes. I got a mind. I can figure this out. I'll, I'll go by my senses. I'll go by my feelings. I'll, like, how well is this going to go for her? How well does it go for you when you decide what is right and wrong based on your emotions and feelings and senses? You're inevitably headed to give in to temptation if that is the case. So look at the pragmatism and the pride here. Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight for the eyes... Let's start, let's just start there. Eve now considers what the serpent has said. Okay, like he said, like it's going to be for my good. Let me just think about this. And so she, she looks at the tree. She, she takes a good look at it. She's like, looks like it's good for food. Like I, I know God had said something about this tree that it wasn't going to be good for us, but I'm looking at it and like that, that looks delicious. We don't know what the fruit was. We're not told. But she looks at it and he's like, that's good for food. I, 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 I'm pretty sure that God's got it wrong. I don't know why he's trying to keep back from us, but he obviously is. Because I can tell with my wisdom, with my clarity of thought here, that this food is good. Surely God is lying. The serpent must be right. Tree doesn't just look for good, good for food. It's also delight to the eyes. A delight to the eyes. In other words, it's aesthetically pleasing. She now sees this tree like all the other trees. And in fact, probably so, that she wants to eat from this tree despite the plethora of every other tree available to her. The, the, the word here for delight, it is the root word that we get for covet, which we're going to see in the 10th commandment, right? Do not covet. It is the same thing going on here. She now wants this tree, this fruit, more than any other tree in the garden because she believes that if she eats of it, she will be fulfilled. She will be happy. She will finally have what she desires. And she decides that this tree was desired to make one wise. We're not told why she thinks this, but she's got, jumped to this conclusion now that it all looks good. I've seen with my eyes. I, 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 I've determined that the fruit must, is good. And so based on what the serpent said, it must be, make me wise if I'm to eat from it. God must be keeping back from me. At this point, she no longer fears death. 
She's, she's kind of blown through the stop sign of the warnings of God, and all she can see is what she believes will be for her good. Ironically, she's the one now determining what is good and what is bad instead of God. All through the first two chapters, it was God who determined what was good. Now she's determining what is good. All of her reasoning comes from a prideful heart who believes that God has surely been withholding from Adam and Eve. God is not good and should not be trusted. This is her conclusion. So what does she do? So she took some of it, some of the fruit, and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Adam is not innocent in this whatsoever. We're not told what he's thinking. Like as you, as you read what we just read there, it seems like she takes from the fruit, she eats, she gives some to him, and she and he, you know, I could just have this picture in my own mind, and maybe it's just my own messed up kind of thinking, but I, I I'm just think, like he takes it from her and he just kind of watches her. She didn't drop dead. Must be okay. And he eats too, right? It's like he's as passive as you can get here. She's leading. We don't even know what he's thinking about this whole conversation. He just simply follows her lead. He, he doesn't step in when he should have stepped in. He doesn't lead as he was told to lead. He does not protect Eve. Does not challenge Eve's thinking. He definitely does not seek her good. He just simply stands there and does nothing. When it comes time to sin, he sins right along with her. They know better than God knows how this world should really look. They've determined that what God says is bad is actually good. This is what pride does. They no longer fear God. They fear missing out on some promise that the serpent made. They've determined that they've served God long enough. It's time for them to to serve themselves. Who is God to tell them what is right and wrong? Sound familiar? Is this not what we do in our prideful rebellion against God every time? James chapter 1 says this, verse 14, James 1, 14, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We all have our sinful inclinations, is what he's saying in this verse. For some of you, a temptation will come along. It's not a big deal to you. You're not, you don't desire that. For others of you, that's going to be the thing that's going to get you. Strasner illustrates the lies that we still believe. He says this, go ahead and separate from your wife. You will finally be free. Go ahead and take out your frustration. You'll feel much better. Go ahead and vent your anger towards God. It's cathartic. 
on and on, go to the lies. Go ahead and lie. It will help you get that promotion. Go ahead and have sex outside of marriage. You deserve to feel loved. Go ahead and hate. You are fighting for righteousness. Twist, twist, twist. Lie after lie after lie. James says that each person is tempted. In other words, what, what, he's, what, what he's saying here is that we all have our weaknesses. And so we need to be desperately aware of our inclination to think that we know better than God. Our tendency to, 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 to put God's word aside, put his warnings aside, and then just do what we want to do. We need to be aware of that. We need to be aware that Satan is not for you. He's against you. And he's not to be trusted. Which leads us to the last point. Regret the effect. Regret the effect. Be alarmed. Every time we sin, we choose to suffer. It says, in the eyes of both were opened. And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. The giving into temptation does result in change. Their eyes are opened. They do see something different than they had seen before. But it is not what they expected. They do not now, they are not now in a position of power. Their life is not better as a result of doing this. Instead, they are full of shame. This is what's happening in their eyes being opened. This has not brought the happiness that they thought it would. They have been deceived, they've been lied to, but now it's too late. Sin has been committed and there's no turning back of time. They should have known you cannot become more like God by rebelling against him. You can only become more like God by walking in fear of him and following his ways. So they become aware that they're now naked. What's being communicated here, of course, is that they do do not have any clothes on, but there's so much more that's going on here. It's also stating that they are now defenseless, weak, humiliated. This is these are the uh, what the Old Testament uses the word naked for. The innocence that they once had now is gone. With sin now, there is no longer the intimacy and oneness that they had once enjoyed. There's now separation from one another, and as we're going to continue our study, we're going to see separation from God. So instead of repentance, what do they do? They try to cover up the shame. They try to self-atone here. So they find some fig leaves, not too many fig plants here in Alberta, but apparently fig trees have big leaves, and so they sew these leaves together to make a loincloth so to cover their nakedness. It's pathetic. It's what they do, though. Trying to cover up, trying to self-atone for their sin. The shame that they're feeling is just the beginning of the consequences. As we're going to continue through chapter 3, we're going to see that it's going to get far worse before it's going to get better. And ultimately, Christ 
sorry, God, well, Christ, we're going to get to that in a moment, but God will provide for covering their shame by, by giving them, we see in verse 21, a covering that he has made that came through shed blood. I love what Thomas Brooks says about what Satan delivers. Satan promises the best, but pays with the worst. He promises honor and pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure and pays with pain. He promises profit and pays with loss. He promises life and pays with death. But God pays as he promises. All his payments are made in pure gold. If we're being honest here this morning, we can all relate all too well to what's going on in this text. We know what it is to sin, and we know what it is to have consequences for our rebellion. Romans 5.12 tells us this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death, so death spread to all men because all sinned. We can all relate. Death and separation from God is what we all deserve. Like from, from this point on, we really ought to see it, it all as grace. Because what should have happened is they, they died. It was over. Game over. But what we're going to see is that God is gracious. He's merciful. He's patient. Over and over we're going to see that. And as you go through the Old Testament, you see example after example of God's grace. But he will not be mocked. If you continue to walk in rebellion of sin against him, there will be judgment. But God has made a way that we can avoid that judgment. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 3 as we close this morning. Luke chapter 3. Because the first Adam failed, God decided he would send another Adam. He would send another son of God. His son, Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 3, and what's amazing, and we don't have time to, to fully break this down this morning, but what's amazing is Satan attacks Jesus in the exact same way that he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. Exact same stuff. Like I said, he doesn't change his routine. First, I just want you to note, verse 38 of chapter 3 as he ends the genealogy, he's talking about where did Christ come from. He's the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Son of God. This is who Jesus is. That's key as we look at Satan's temptation. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Like, who, who do you give better chances at winning this battle over temptation? Adam and Eve in the perfect garden with everything at their fingertips for food, or Jesus in the wilderness hasn't eaten for 40 days? I mean, the contrasts here are to show the power of God, to show how great Christ is. So, the devil, verse 3, said to him, if you are the son of God, where did he get that idea from? From the word of God, right? If you, so again, he's twisting the words of God here. If you are the son of God, then what? Command this stone to become bread. 
And Jesus answered him, notice how he answers, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. He uses the word of God to refute Satan, just as you and I need to do. And Jesus answered him, sorry, and verse 5, And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in the moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be all yours. Okay? Adam and Eve offered a little bit of wisdom. Jesus offered everything. All you have to do is just bow down and worship me. Jesus answered, it is written. Again, he quotes scripture. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Amazing. What is Satan doing here? Quoting scripture. In context, eh, not so much. But he's trying to manipulate the word of God to tempt tempt Jesus. And Jesus answered him, what? It is said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Christ lived the perfect life. It's interesting, it says that he departed from him until the opportune time. When was that? It was back in the garden again. And Jesus is in the garden. He knows he's hours away from hanging upon a cross. Why will he go to the cross? So that he can put my sin and your sin upon himself and pay for our shame, to cover our sin. This is why he will do it. But while he's in the garden, he, he, he's wrestling with it. He is having extreme anxiety such that he is sweating blood. And he asks the Father, is it possible that this cup would pass from me? And he says, but not my will, but yours be done. He trusted the Father perfectly his entire life. And as such, when he died upon the cross, his blood covers all sins of those who would place their trust in him. This morning I'm looking around. I I don't know where your heart's at. But I want you to hear the hope that is in Jesus Christ this morning. You can have your sin atoned for. Listen, if you're trying to put together this little fig leaf covering for your shame or sin, lay that down. It's not going to work. You're not fooling God. Well, I came to church this morning. He must be pretty happy with me. He doesn't care. What he wants is for you to admit that you are a sinner, to repent of that sin, and to place your trust in Jesus Christ. That's what he wants from you. He wants you to place your faith in him. And trust in him for all of your days, just as Jesus did. 
Not as Adam and Eve did in their mistrust of God and sinning against him, but in following Christ in his ways. And this morning, you can be forgiven. Some of you have heard this over and over again, but you're, you're rebelling against it. You're trusting in Satan. Well, I'm not trusting in Satan. You are. You think your ways are better than God's ways. And I want to save you from a world of suffering. Well, I don't know. It's going pretty good so far. It will end in death. And so be made right with God today. Let me pray. Lord God, we're so thankful for this time together this morning. And God, we, all of us here, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us have shook our fist against you and walked in rebellion. But Lord, we're so thankful that for many here this morning, you have opened our eyes to that fact that we are sinners. That Lord, you granted us faith that we might place our trust in you. And this morning, we are children of God, not because of anything that we have done, but because the blood of Jesus has covered our shame and our sin. And in turn, we have the perfect righteousness of Christ. It's incredible. God, you are good in every way. Lord, forgive us for ever doubting that. Lord, help us to grow in our trust in you. Lord, help us to grow in our understanding of your word. Help us to grow in our, in our faithfulness to study your word that we might refute the lies of Satan over and over again for your glory and for your honor, that we might bring you glory through our words and through our actions, that as we testify of your goodness, that Lord, people would see our lives, that they are different than theirs, that they might see that they can be freed from their sins through Jesus Christ as well. Lord, lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.